He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jasper's going to come and help us understand that. How are we doing? You good? It's pretty quiet. Have you guys, um, have you seen these carbon, carbon emission stickers on cars recently? I bought a car recently and it had one of these stickers on you. Essentially it says how much carbon the car produces into the atmosphere, right? And the more it produces, the worse it is for the atmosphere, the less it produces, um, the better it is for the atmosphere, right? So if you're a big greenie, you love cars that don't produce much carbon, right? Cars that don't produce much carbon are much more valuable to you because you care about the environment, right? Now, oh, I've just got to find the right page here. <laughs> iPads, they're crazy. Volkswagen is known to be this big eco-friendly car company, right? They produce high-tech cars with cutting-edge engines that produce like nearly no carbon emissions and um, they've received awards for this, medals, tax cuts, but recently in the news I found out that they've produced this, well they've engineered this device that cheats the carbon testing system, right? They cheat the test and their cars actually produce 40 times more carbon than what the sticker says on their car, right? Imagine being a Eco person, you're driving around in your Volkswagen Polo, thinking that you're doing something good for the environment. Really, you're killing all the trees, and you're like driving something as similar to like a semi-trailer truck or something. Volkswagen has been fined 2.8 billion dollars. They've had to pay uh, 16 billion euros to cover the damages that they've done, and they've had to purchase back 500,000 Volkswagen vehicles from the U.S. market alone. Right. They've learnt the hard way that you can't just put a sticker on something to make it good for the environment, right? V-Dub branded their cars as eco-friendly when they really weren't. And I think that we hear a challenge that's very similar to this from the Bible tonight. We can be a bit like the Volkswagen company. We can put a sticker on our lives that says, yep, I'm a Christian, But really, in reality, our lives look nothing like it. We can sit here week after week 
and hear talks and messages from the Bible week after week. We can sing the songs and read the words and even agree with everything that's said without it actually making any difference on how we live our lives. We can wear a Christian uniform that says nothing about who we are. Our lives can be unaffected by our Christian sticker. In the Gospels, well, and, and the consequences, just like for Volkswagen, are severe, right? In the Gospels it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It matters that you're not a sticker Christian because entering the kingdom of heaven is on the line. Why don't I pray before we jump into this big subject we're going to talk about tonight. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we come to your word, um, that you'd soften our hearts and prepare us to see what you have for us. We pray that we would be Christians who are real, Christians who um, don't just hear what you've got to say in the Bible, but that we can respond to it correctly. I pray that you'd give me clarity and wisdom as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. James is a really helpful book to read as you might ask yourself the question whether or not you're a sticker Christian, right? First thing we're going to see, if you're taking notes, this is my first point, genuine Christians do what the Word says. If you've got your Bibles open there, we're in chapter 1, verse 22, and it says from verse 22, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Straight away, notice that James doesn't have a problem with hearing and listening. He doesn't want you to stop listening. He has a problem, though, with just listening. He has a problem with merely listening. Don't just listen to the Word. And he tells us what someone who just listens to the Word is like. Pick it up in verse 23. He says, Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Imagine that's you, you're on your first date, you want to check your face in the mirror and make sure you look good and there's like a big booger just hanging out in your nose, big bat in the cave and you look at it and you go, oh, that's bad, it's not going to look good. But then you walk away from the mirror and you do nothing about it. You're going to make a big fool of yourself on that first date. Right? Well, that's this guy. How dumb is it to look at your face in the mirror and not do anything about it? You may as well have never looked at the mirror in the first place. But instead, this is what James wants us to do. Look in verse 25. He says, Whoever looks intently into, and this is not a casual glance as you walk past something, this is as you walk past something to see it and to look at it and to bend over it with your magnifying glass, get your Sherlock Holmes on and have a good look at it, right? Whoever does that into the perfect law that gives freedom, which is James's way of saying God's word, and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I reckon blessed here means saved because you don't forget the word, but you put it into practice. They'll be blessed in what they do. You've got to do what the word asks. Otherwise, it's as good as not hearing the word in the first place. We know this, right? From living with our parents, with our family, my mum would ask me always to do stuff. She would ask me, Jasper, can you take the bins out? Can you, can you put the dirty socks in the wash? 
Can you, I don't know, can you make your bed? She would ask me to get the firewood in for the night. And I would always say, yeah, mum, I'll do it, I'll do it. But really, I was saying it to get her off my back so she'd stop pestering me, right? I didn't even have the intention of doing what she asked. And I reckon we can all relate to this, right? We've all done this as kids. She would ask me over and over again. Eventually, she would get so angry with me, it would bring her to tears because she felt like she was the only one holding the house up, right? She was doing all the work. And as I think back, I think, how stupid was I to say that I would do the things that she asked me to do without actually even having the intention to do it? Sometimes she would ask me to do things. She would even give me a time frame. She would say, can you take the bins out tonight? If they don't get out tonight, the truck's not going to pick them up. And I'd go, yeah, mom, I'll do it. And I'd just forget about it. I wouldn't do it, right? I would even agree to that and still not come through. My agreement eventually became worthless to my mum. She couldn't trust me to actually do the things that I said I'd do. My agreement became worthless. It matters to do what you say you're going to do. To put it another way, imagine someone really thinks it's wrong to eat animals, they've got animal cruelty things going on for them, and they say it's wrong to eat animals. You'd expect that person to be a vegetarian, right? What if they start eating meat and they start killing animals to eat them, right? Their opinion about animal cruelty doesn't really matter anymore, right, if they're eating the animal. And if that's true of vegetarians... How much more so of someone who says that they're a Christian? We can just, well, you can't just hear the words of the Bible. You've got to do what they actually ask you to do. Now, you're sitting there, right? You're like, hang on, wait, 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 press pause. Let's stop. This sounds like I'm saying that we're saved by what we do. I thought it was, what about, like, it was all about what Jesus has done, not about what I do. I thought we're saved by grace. And yes, I'm glad you raised that concern. I can see you having that concern, you having that concern. But look in verse 18. Come back to verse 18 with me. It says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that He created. God has graciously chosen to save us through His word. And it's the truth of his word that confronts us and saves us. When we come to the Bible and we start reading from one cover to the other, we're reading through Genesis, we see that there's a God, that God exists, that he's the king, he's the creator who made everything and he deserves to be king because he made everything. But as humans, we reject him and we turn away from him. We love living without God as king. And if we've rejected God as king, we're actually rejected from being part of his kingdom. There's this great divide, a big, like I think it was in one of the songs, a chasm between us and God, right? But into this speaks the words of the gospel, the famous John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What are we believing in? We're believing in Jesus, in the things that Jesus has done, that he's died on the cross to save sinners, to save us, to save those that are rebels, that have rebelled against God and rejected him. And God's justice against rebels 
is met on the cross where he absorbs the punishment of sin on himself. That's the message of God's word that you need to hear. These are the words of truth that will save you. If you've never heard that message before, you need to hear it tonight. You need to hear it, but don't do nothing with it. These words demand a response, right? And instead of being the person that looks at the mirror and forgets what their face looks like, be the person who hears that message of the gospel and studies it intently with your microscope. Investigate it, right? Don't miss the opportunity to respond to that message because it's a crazy message of grace. How else can we respond to it but living obediently to what God tells us to do. James isn't saying that we're saved by what we do, but he is saying that you've got to respond to being saved by the word of God by living obediently to it. Which he also says halfway through verse 21. Have a look in verse 21. Halfway through it says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, implanted in you, which can save you. And to accept is to obey, right? Humbly placing yourself under God as king. How would we know, right, if we're living obediently other than testing ourselves against what the word of God tells us to do? Which was my next point. Test yourself against the word of God. We have plenty of what the word tells us to do right here in James. So take a look at verse 19. In verse 19 it says... My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, there's a lot of wisdom right here. We often live completely backwards to this. We're slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger. And it gets us into a mess in life. In so many of our arguments, we regret immediately the things that we say. So James tells us to be wise about how we speak. Why? Because, verse 20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When our tempers fly and we go off the handle and we speak in anger, we don't often produce any behaviour that is pleasing to God, God's righteousness that he desires. So what does please God? Well, it's there in verse 21. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. How do you know if you've accepted the word? And I think it's as simple as whether or not you obey it. What are the next, which leads us to verse 22, the next verses. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And you need to catch something really important here, which is that it's possible to deceive yourself. It's possible to listen to the word and just hear it and think that you're okay with God. Like if you walk into a class and you listen to a lesson on four-unit maths, just because you listen to it doesn't mean that you're Einstein now and you're going to pass the test, right? You're deceiving yourself. And self-deception is trippy, right? Because how will you know that you're deceived if it's yourself that's deceived? You need something external to you 
That's not you to test yourself against. The mass test will fail you if you don't understand mass, pretty simple, but God's word will determine if you accept it depending on whether you obey it or not. It's external to us. My wife and I, we occasionally have some fights, as we do. It's pretty normal. And it's pretty normal to fight about really stupid stuff, okay? Like once we're having a fight about the objectivity of north, south, east and west, right? Pretty crazy. I was was saying, there is no such thing as north, south, east and west. It's a concept. It's a construct. We live in a Eurocentric world and everything else is like dependent on Europe being the centre of the universe so that you've got eastern countries and western countries. And to prove my point, I'd say stuff like, how can America, Europe and Australia all be western countries? One's got to be east. Like, isn't Australia an eastern country? Right? It's objective. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you guys. I'm like, half of you on my right, half of you on your left, on my left. But you're looking at me going, nah, he's wrong. I'm on his right and I'm on his left or whatever. But what makes me right is that it's my right and my left. He's tracking with me. This is trippy, right? It's subjective. But my wife would come back to me and she'd be like, no, 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 no. North, south, east, west is an objective direction that you can always travel. And so if we all find our true north and we all go north, wherever north is, we'll all end up at the North Pole. I don't know how it's going to fit us, but we'll all end up there. And she's right, okay? I'm thinking politically, right? And she's thinking geographically, okay? Fine, we have a big fight about that. But um, her point remains. We need something external to us that's not our right and our left, like a compass to find our true north and tell us where to go, which is what God's word is. We're, We're deceived, right? We've deceived ourselves. We can't know if our lives please God or not other than his word and our obedience to it. Now, we get a bit of a summary of what God's word asks us to do in verse 27. Have a look. Uh, Sorry, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, those who don't control how they speak, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, which I reckon is just those who are weak and vulnerable, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to make sure that you actually stand out as different from the world. So we've got these three things in verse 26 and 27 that tell us what the Word asks us to do, right? And it's not a complete list. This is not saying this is everything that makes religion pure and faultless. With these three things, as long as you do these three things, you're all good. I reckon this is, it's saying this is the type of things, right? And it's a pretty good place to start. What are they? One, control your tongue. Two, look after the weak and vulnerable. And three, be different from the world. How do you go with these things? How do you go controlling your tongue? How do you go looking after the weak and vulnerable? How do you go being different from the world? 
When's the last time you spoke in anger? Shouldn't be hard to think of and remember. And I reckon it's pretty easy to come across pretty polite and easy face-to-face, but what about on the internet, right? How often are you polite on the internet? How often do you speak well on a gaming server? I hear sniggering because it's like, no one speaks well on a gaming server. Is your language under control there? If your private messengers were made public, how do you think you would go? What about when someone you hate comes up in a conversation with friends? Have you ever jumped on the bandwagon and just started slamming them? I mean, that you hate them is bad enough, but have you just jumped in and you're just slandering that person? Is your tongue under control there? Let me tell you, your religion is worthless if you do not control your tongue. What about being different from the world? If I went to your school today and I asked your friends if they think you're, if they think you're any different from them, what do you think they'd say? Would they know what's important to you? Would your priorities look any different from their priorities? Sport, goofing around with friends, having friends, exam results, surfing. Do you look any different to the people that you're with at school, here? A Christian whose life you can't tell apart from someone who's not a Christian is actually a faulty Christian. And how about that last one, to care for the orphans and widows? I think this is saying to care for whoever's weak and vulnerable in your society, right? Who are the weak and vulnerable on the central coast? Probably a whole stack of people, right? I could probably think of hundreds. But I can think of lonely people. I can think of the socially awkward person. People that the world rejects and hasn't got time for. They're not cool enough to keep up with everyone. Do you care enough about the vulnerable, weak person enough to change the way that you treat them? Do you see the loner at school or even the loner here and walk past them? Christianity that doesn't do anything for the weak and vulnerable person is worthless. It's a religion that is far from God's heart. Religion, including Christianity, that does not care for the same things God cares about, is worthless. There's this classic saying out there, right? Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. right? And it's an attempt to get away from Christianity sounding like a list of rules that you have to obey. But... Christianity that doesn't do anything is worthless, just like every other religion out there. If you've signed up to be a Christian, but you're not interested in the things that God is, you either don't understand who God is, or you don't understand what Christianity is. Which is why deception keeps popping up here, okay, again and again. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're okay just because you've got a Christian sticker on. 
that isn't obey, uh, obedient to God's word. Don't be scared to obey God's word because it sounds like rule keeping. Yes, I know, you cannot earn your way into heaven by keeping the rules. That attempt is foolish. And your obedience may not be spotless perfect, but the king is someone you want to obey. And I'm thankful that God makes this possible for us. Have a look at Ezekiel 36. It should be on the screens. It says, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We're not attempting to obey God's laws on our own. God has put his spirit in us to move us to actually want to obey God's commands. Don't you hear God's word and see how good it is? Isn't God's word something you want to follow? And if you're sitting here going, it doesn't sound that good to me, right? I think you need to hear that bit, that message of Jesus and his death on the cross. You need to hear that again and again and again until you realize how good it actually is. Because there's no way that you deserve God's forgiveness, but it's there, it's extended to you. That is good news. If you doubt that, you need to hear it again and again and again. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I want to obey God's laws, I want to obey his word, but I can't, I just keep failing over and over again, well, you need to remember that it was Jesus who perfectly kept God's law. And it was him that earned your forgiveness. We can only respond to God's grace by saying thank you and living obediently with Jesus as Lord. That's what Jesus as Lord means. It means that you're declaring him as Lord over your life. He's the ruler. He is the king. He's the one that you will submit to and say, I'm serving you. You're my king now. I'm not the king of my life. You are. That you actually want to obey God's word is a sign that the Spirit is in you. Keep listening to God's word in the Bible, but don't stop there. Strive to do what it asks. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that um, your word is good and it's beautiful. The things that you ask are good for us, they're good for those that are around us, and they're good because they please you. Please help us see how good your word is. Please help us to obey the words that you have in your Bible. Please um, move us by your spirit. Give us a heart of flesh that desires to do your will and is careful to keep your commands. We give so much thanks that we're not attempting to do this on our own. And we give thanks most of all that it's Jesus who has perfected and completed the law and fulfilled it, that he has earned our salvation, that he's managed 
to live perfectly in order to please you to forgive us. We give so much thanks for the book of James where we can hear that it's important to you to do what you ask. We pray that we would live lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.